Good afternoon. Awesome. And welcome to the City Club of Cleveland, where we are devoted to conversations of consequence that help democracy thrive. Today is Wednesday, March 8th, and my name is Chinenya Nkemra, and I stand here today on International Women's Day, first as a black woman, and secondly as a daughter of the city of Cleveland. I am the co-founder of Enlightened Solutions, a social advocacy think tank here in Cleveland, Ohio, and the creator of Project Noir, a research study about the lived experiences of black women here in Northeast Ohio. Like I said before, today is International Women's Day, where the world celebrates trailblazing women and their contributions to our community. So I am honored to recognize the powerful work being done here today at the local level with these dynamic, incredible women joining me here on this stage. Mayor Annette Blackwell. <laughs> Keep that energy up for Mayor Kim Thomas. and Mayor Gigi Trior. Together, they represent a combined total of 33,000 residents, and Mayors Trior and Blackwell are the first black women to lead their respective cities. Round of applause for that. Now, bringing it back here just a little bit, in 2021, black women were mayors of over eight of the uh, 100 U.S. cities with the largest populations. This is a record number. The rise in black women in elected positions can be attributed to black women's community activism, their emerging demographic trends, targeted voter registration efforts, and financial support from anchor institutions. Yet... Just one year earlier, in 2020, Cleveland was ranked the worst city in America for black women. Most striking about this ranking is that the initial research out of the University of Pittsburgh did not interview any black women about their lived experiences in any of the best cities or the worst cities. This was shocking to me as a black woman living in the worst city in America for black women. My co-founder, Bethany Studenik, and I sought to uncover the how and the why. We interviewed over 450 local black women and released our titled report, Project Noir. You can uh, view it at projectnoirclee.com. In our report, we detail black women's experiences in the workplace, healthcare, institutions, and in education. Our results, Cleveland is failing black women. We know that the only way to fix this problem is to center black women, to listen to their stories, and to support their needs. If interested in hearing those stories, just as Cynthia mentioned, we have a new NPR IdeaStream podcast out called Living for We. It's available everywhere you can find podcasts, and it's on the NPR One app. There is still so much work to do to make Northeast Ohio equitable and a better city for black women as they enter and they work in politics. Luckily today, we have the honor and privilege to listen and learn from these black women leaders that are changing our political landscape today, to listen to their unique perspectives and to listen to their expertise. Moderating this incredible conversation is Sheila Wright, a member. a member of the City Club Board of Directors and co-founder and president and managing partner of Frontline Development Group. If you have a question for our speakers, you can text it to 330-541-5794. That is 330-541-5794. You can also tweet your question at the City Club, and City Club staff will try to work it into the program in the second half. Members and friends, the City Club of Cleveland, please join me in welcoming Mayors Blackwell, Thomas, and Trior, and our moderator, Sheila Wright. Ms. Wright.
Thank you, Chi Chi, and thank you for the work that you and Bethany have done in this city. It made a significant difference. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm sorry for those of you with my back to you. My leg is extended. You know my knee is an issue, so <laughs> I will turn and swivel my head as I need to. I have the distinct privilege of speaking with what has been deemed around the country an exclusive sorority, black women leading municipalities. As Chi-Chi spoke, historically, you know that black women in this country as a demographic have been the most effective in terms of organizing and political mobilization. We observed this trend nationally during the last three presidential elections, where black women have become a key voting block. Yet, despite our political gains, black women's representation continues to wane nationally and locally. We've never had a black female governor in this country. And we've only had two black women serve as U.S. senators. But all is not lost. Over the past two years, there have been considerable changes to the political landscape with respect to black women in political seats. Black women have begun to ascend to mayoral roles in major cities and mid-sized cities around the country. And this occurred against a, black, a backdrop of the pandemic and the murder of George Floyd. And some see those precipitating events as a shift in the American consciousness. With respect to our local politics, as mentioned in our introduction, the Bloomberg City Lab uh, article that spoke to where Cleveland um, sits in terms of black women means we have a lot of work to do. We've never had a black woman in this 200 plus year old city to serve as a mayor for the city of Cleveland. Under our former structure of county government, we never had a black woman serve as a county commissioner. And most recently, although it's a relatively new role, no black woman has served as the county executive. But today, this conversation should give you some hope. Because it's an indicator that there is progress in the land. And that we too are embracing our collective shift in consciousness. And with that, I'd like to welcome our distinguished guests and move to our first question. Thank you. Mayor Blackwell, we're gonna start with you. The veteran on the panel. <laughs> In many ways. <laughs> you have held this role prior to what some are calling the shift in the American conscious. But in light of where we are and what we've said today in honoring this space, can you speak to um, how your blackness makes you uniquely suited for this role at this time? Thank you for the question. And thank you guys for being here. The love is felt all the way up here. See so many wonderful faces. Love, love, love. Um, this is my eighth year, and I can tell you that it's the ministry that we bring. Um, you have to have a heart for people. You need to pray for people, and you're hoping people pray for you, because people are broken. They're looking for hope. They're looking for inspiration. A lot of us come from families where we've seen strong big, big, um, black women, big mama, right? She is raising kids. Uh, she may be working for the white man down the road. I'm speaking of my own. And then she takes care of those kids, come home and take care of your kids. You don't know how or what you're going to eat. All of a sudden, there's a meal for everyone there. Um, we have a lot of single female head of households, women being the head of households. That's not new to us. We are comfortable leading. We're comfortable being the first. We're comfortable carrying cities on our back, because that's what I've done. I've carried my city on our back. We've carried our babies on our back, right? We've carried our babies in our bosom. Um, we, we, we work many jobs. You know, I was the economic development director. I'm the safety director. I'm the person that answers the phone. I may be the person that gives you a permit in the building department. We're versatile in that way. There are things that we don't mind doing because we're used to doing everything. We have to be twice as fast, better, in so many ways. And so for me, it is a non-issue. People say, why would you work the building department? Because the line's too long. And I don't want people coming to permit taking their entire lunch hour to get that permit. And so we're comfortable in some ways. Say, some people say we're too masculine. We're too aggressive. 
but that's been our way to survive for so long in our churches, in our communities, in our families, on our jobs. So it's a natural, it's a natural transition for us, at least for me. Absolutely. Thank you for that answer. You're welcome. I'm going to pose the same question to you, Major Tra Mayor Traor. Thank you so Major much. Major in stature. <laughs> <laughs> I always tell folks I'm 6'5". Uh, but thank you for the question. And, you know, as a daughter of an African immigrant, my father immigrated here from Nigeria and the daughter of a black uh, American born in the South, pre-civil rights, my blackness, my culture is who I am. It's the first thing they see. Now, it doesn't qualify me to do the job as mayor, mm -hmm. but what it does is how people respond to me doing this job. And as you see, I have big natural hair. I'm a person of a darker hue. And so those things bring on different challenges than a white person in this role, right? It's, it's questioning your validity as, do you, do you believe that you deserve to be here? Do you believe that you're able to do the job? And it's like, check my resume, of course. <laughs> I've been doing this. Um, and, and so, but it also brings along the culture. It's about educating folks on what is and what is not. One of my proudest moments as a councilwoman, because I was also the first non-white councilwoman to be appointed as well as elected to the village of Newburgh Heights. And so one of the pieces that I did there was pass the Crown Act. To talk about the to talk about the discrimination that black girls and boys face, whether it's in wrestling. I mean, we probably saw the news where they cut the young man's dreads off during a wrestling match, right? The other thing that I passed was eliminating the word alien in reference to immigrants. As a daughter of an African immigrant, that's insulting. My father, my family were not aliens. They were non-US citizens until they gained their citizenship. So those are things, when you, when you show up in your blackness, when you show up in your faith, because I'm also a proud Christian member of Antioch, and so when you bring those, the, those things to the table, it helps to identify how you are a leader. How are you gonna be sympathetic to the issues? What are the policies that you're gonna bring forth through your community? How are you gonna engage? Most of the folks in this room know me from the community. You know me from my organizing, my activism, all those kind of things. All that brings to, is brought to the table as mayors because as my colleague here, our veteran, our OG, as I like to call her, <laughs> as, she, as she likes to say, we are the CEOs of our municipalities. We are the ones who are making sure the finances balance. We're making sure that we're hiring the right staff to do the job to go out to make sure our communities are safe, to make sure those potholes are covered. We are the responsible person. We think about this day in and day out. <laughs> And so there's no qualifier around my blackness, but it helps define who I am as a leader and how I am as a mayor. Wow. Thank you. Thank you for that response. So the next question I will be posing to Mayor Thomas, and I just want to say family. We're our family here today. Uh, mayor Thomas is uh, uh, wrestling with some vocal issues. So I want this to be a setting like E.F. Hutton. <laughs> when she speaks, because she's going to speak low, I want you to lean in and listen, because she has some important things to say. So Mayor Thomas, this question is to you. I'm going to start with you. What were some of the first things you did, um, changes that you made as a new mayor? Thank you, Sheila, for just posing that question to me. And I'm going to speak as low as possible. My daughter keeps saying, Mom, you have to speak low, and you won't be as deep. And so it is truly, truly honored that everyone is here today. First of all, thank you. Um, my first day in office, I had to think, first of all, when I raised my hand to say I will be in that position. I served on council for a year and a half. And I served on council, and when the seat came available, or election came available, I had people in the, in the community saying, please run to be the next mayor. And I had to think about it. I was like, no, no, I will find someone to, to run for the next mayor. And there's two other people in this room right now. They said, you don't have to look for anyone, Mayor Thomas, or Councilwoman Thomas. 
you are the person we want. We're, you are the one who we want to lead Richmond Heights. And so that's what I did, raised my hand. Serving on council is a little different. Served on it a year and a half. Served on the audit committee. Served on the finance committee. So it gave me a lot of knowledge of the state of our city. And so going in, I knew what the finances looked like. And I knew the changes that we needed to take. So one of the things, I'm going to talk about two of the things that I made change with, and that was day one. I start looking at the finance to make sure that our finances were in order. In case anything happened, being the second black woman of Richmond Heights, the very first thing they would say is recall. And so I had to make sure my finances were in order. But the other thing that I really focused on was my finance department, making sure we had the right people in there. When I looked at, at the finance department, we had three members in our finance department. And so when you have three members in your finance department and you really need six, you know that there's no segregation of duty. And so if there's no segregation of duty, there's really very little oversight. And so my first line of business was to make sure I put the right people in place to make sure we could run the city effectively and efficiently. My second line of duty, well, I mean, my second um, job, when I walked in, I said, we need to increase or upgrade our infrastructure to bring it to the 21st century. We had 20-year-old phone system, an analog phone system. And so with that being said, <laughs> and you know, people were like, how did you do it? And I said, I, I don't know how we're doing it, but we had an analog phone system. And so what that looks like is I could not transfer the call to my police department. I could not transfer the call to my service department. However, internal, internally, I could transfer the call. And so I ended up upgrading my uh, infrastructure. And so it was a struggle, but we really, really got that done. And we're not done yet. And so the more that I think about where we were and where we are right now, day one I start keeping a journal about what I need to do to turn Richmond Heights around. And we're in a good place right now. Those are the two main things that we had to make happen. Make sure our books were in order, because keep in mind, I'm the second black mayor. And we won't talk about happen to the first one. And so I did not want to, I wanted to make sure we were accountable. Um, and so Sheila, that is it. I'm gonna drink some tea. Okay. And hopefully, <laughs> and hopefully I, I can go up a little bit more. But first of all, thank you all for paying close attention. And um, thank you all for being here. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you for that response. I do want to pose this to our other uh, two panelists because I think it, it sets the tone of their understanding and, and, and it shapes their um, legacy, if you will, their administration. So, um, Mayor Blackwell, I'm going to pose the same question to you. What were some of the first things you did um, when you walked into that office seven years ago, eight years ago? So, I was not on city council. So I come from a different, I literally left a tax and accounting firm. I realized I won in the beginning of busy season, finished busy season and took oath of office in January and became the mayor. So I, I did not have the council experience, but I had the business experience. You have to realize Maple Heights was broken. Everything was broken. We were in fiscal emergency to the tune of almost $3 million. We had five people in the service department, five. And the, 13 months that I campaigned, all I heard was, I'm getting out of here as soon as I can. There, were, there was a title calling us to second something, and we're not going to say what the second is, but they had written Maple Heights off. So I can tell you that uh, we are known, we were known for being the three twos, too dirty, too dark, and too dangerous. And so that's how I broke out, how I will address it. How am I going to address the too dirty, too dark, too dangerous? Uh, one of the first things I did was, for, for two months, when I first won, 
our family room was a war room. And for those in corporate America, you know what a war room is, okay? There's charts, there's stuff all over the floor. My husband couldn't walk anywhere on the floor. <laughs> As I was looking to figure out how do we get to fiscal emergency? What went wrong? Like my colleague, you've got to understand the finances. Why were we in fiscal emergency? And then you can establish a game plan. So once I understood that, I began, I created a C-suite. I had to really empower people and let me know, you're more than a director, you're an executive team. And so together, the C-suite, and that's how I, I dubbed them some room over there, we get it done and we strategize. And so I started a monthly director's meeting. Not, not, I don't wanna hear what you're gonna say at council. I want you to tell me strategy as my executive, what's happening in your department, where are the issues, and then collectively the C-suite will address it. We didn't even have email. People weren't using email. Now, I used to, I'm used to instant messaging, working at an accounting firm downtown, and so there were handwritten notes, but nobody used email. They were using calendars, okay, hard calendars to make appointments. Um, I was dubbed as the corporate one. I started to, to change that perception of being the two. I began a public relations campaign. Mm -hmm. Everything is branding from our retractable banner, our, our lapel pen, our polos, our tablecloth, and we speak one language. The cabs all don't have a uniform on. And then I came up with street banners that says we're winning. I was being cheeky, right? Because they said we were losing. So I was gonna say, no, we're winning. You don't tell your team to go out and lose. You tell your team to go out and win. Right. And so I became this cheerleader. <laughs> like I was in, in, in middle school, but I never did get my, my, my cartwheel right. But I became this cheerleader. My legs were never high enough. And I became the person who did everything. I did my own economic development for five years because you can't afford one. Because the state tells you what you can buy and what you can't buy. I wrote my own fiscal recovery plan and I fought with the auditor's office. They came to tell me what was wrong and I told them what was right. And so those things were super important. I walked the streets. I got my regional income tax agency report. I quoted the top 25 taxpayers. I went to the door and I said, hi, I'm your new mayor. Are you leaving or you're staying? And if you're thinking about leaving, what can I do? And I heard things like, we need more lighting. We need the snow plowers to be here early enough for our employees to get into the parking lot. We need the trash to be picked up. I created relationships and I made them a part of the team. I promised everyone an ROI, a return on their investment, because stakeholders want to return their investment. If I stay here, work here, play here, pay taxes here, what are you going to get? So, and that's in terms of city services. I created a business model that everybody could understand and then we could execute. I wrote the blueprint. And so I just championed in a different way because I didn't come from legislature, I came from business. And those are some very transferable skills. And I can tell you this as I conclude, because I want to drive this home. They gave us a five-year recovery plan. And at the time, the auditor was, was David Yost. We're going to give you five years. or will probably take you 10. Don't get frustrated if you don't finish. I did it in four. <laughs> I'm a little bit of an overachiever. And then they told me, we can't let you go because COVID's gonna be here and you'll never get out. So they checked the books five or six times. Each time they were balanced. I wanna tell you today I sit here with the city and I run a $41 million budget and in my general fund I have almost $9 million. What did you say? Better, faster, smarter, stronger is what we have to be. You gotta do what you have to do. I carry it all. The baby, the water, <laughs> the room. And we cleaned up City Hall. We just celebrated an elevator. We never had an elevator. My council president's over there. He's in a wheelchair. He's never been to my office because we didn't have an elevator. Took me two years and he came up the other day. Now he's up there kind of lurking because he can get upstairs. <laughs> we didn't even have an elevator. And I made them plant flowers and I hung Christmas lights. And they said to me, we don't need flowers. I said, if you work here, I want flowers. So I told my, the people, and I'm gonna be honest, they live in Brexville, Broadview Heights, North Worldton, everywhere but Maple Heights. I said, do me a favor. I want you to ride by Broadview Heights to City Hall today. I want you to ride by Brexville. If they have flowers, if they, then that's what I want. Mayor Traor. <laughs> I'm sorry, you have to go behind this better. 
So everyone probably remembers April 11th, 12th, 13th of 2022. Many of you showed up on my behalf when my predecessor and a couple members of council tried to remove me as the council president pro tempore so I would not become mayor. A lot of you showed up. And so, as I say in Ibo Dadu, I greatly appreciate it because without you, we wouldn't be here. That's right. So, a couple of things I did. What we heard from both of my colleagues is about strategy. When I went into my office, that they tried to prevent me from going into, <laughs> I removed the television and I put up a whiteboard. And I started writing out strategy. I did a SWOT analysis. Where are we? What are the things that we need to look at? What are the things? What is the vision? Because the word said, those without a vision perish. And so what is it that we need to do to move the village of Newburgh Heights forward? I wrote out branding. I wrote out streamlining our operations. I wrote out community engagement. Those were, the, those were my top three principles that led me through the transition. Next thing I did was I met with every department head. Surprise, you have a black mayor now. <laughs> so here's what we're going to do. <laughs> um, but more importantly, you have a mayor with vision. You have a mayor with academic and professional experience that approaches everything from strategy. I'm an organizer at heart. My job before I, before I became mayor was running uh, the Midwest State Power Program for SEIU, managing nine states, where we flipped and won two of those major states, being Wisconsin and Michigan. I do this for a regular day. And so we talked about strategy, but I also did the human piece. I want to know you as a department head. What is it that makes you do what you do? Why are you passionate about finances as the fiscal officer? Why are you passionate about housing and building? What do you bring here? And then here's the vision. What are some things? And so for each one, I still have it in my phone today. Each conversation I had, I identified the things that they needed to improve upon, the things they were doing great, the things they wasn't really too sure on, right? And then we, we, we've been working through it. Next month marks one year. And so we also had to regain the trust. You all know the story. You know what happened how I became the mayor. And so having those important conversations with the residents saying that was not us, right? Your money is secure as you're paying into it, um, but also with our businesses, our local businesses, our top 10, having discussions with them. I hosted a local business luncheon, first time ever happened. They said, we've never had engagement at this level before. And I said, here's the vision for Newburgh. What would you like to do? How do you see yourself participating, being a partner with me as I lead this village. And those were some of the key things, and that's how we continue to transition. Um, one of the first folks, and I think this, I may be jumping the question, but I have to highlight this. One of the first things that I had the opportunity to do, and this was initiated by the CEO, Eric Gordon. Most folks don't know the village of Newburgh Heights. We are part of CMSD. Mm -hmm. And I launched a campaign that says, we are CMSD. And Eric Gordon reached out to me my first week. We met the second week, and we talked about how we can have our residents be a part of CMSD. Because most of them, our community is low to moderate income. These folks were the seventh poorest community in Cuyahoga County. Seventh poorest in Cuyahoga County. Medium income is about $41,000. And so it's like, how do we get engaged with these folks because they're paying $5,000 minimum to go to Cuyahoga Heights or to shift or uh, bus their kids some, to other, some other school. So it's like, how do we begin to provide for the community? And most people know if you ask about what Newburgh is known for, they'll tell you two things. All collective, all collectively. <laughs> but, you know, we, and we were known for two things, and both of them starts with a T. And that does a disservice for the village of Newburgh Heights because great things exist. We are home to a nine-hole Audubon golf course. 
We are home to the 15th reservation for the Metro Parks for the We are home to seven parks. We are home to really great century maintained old homes. Our proximity to downtown Cleveland, we're the closest inner ring suburb to this local urban sector. Those are all great things that prime us for development, that prime us for engagement. Um, our accessibility to the interstate, you think about the 76 interchange, 77, we're primed to be in a position to really accept folks and do overflow. So those are the things, when I first got in office, I was like, let's be strategic, because that's what we do. And I think that's the most important thing, that when you think about black women leaders, we're just not the, the helpers, but we are strategic leaders that make things happen on an everyday basis. Thank you, Mayor. Sheila, yes, if Mayor I can just piggyback off of what Mayor just mentioned, Richmond Heights, we have a population of 10,800 residents. We have uh, our housing population is 35% um, members live in apartments. And we have a 26% senior population. 26% senior population. On the north side of Richmond Heights, you have a little bit more uh, black and brown people. So when I ran for office, I, you know, I said, well, you know, maybe I'm going to have a conversation, maybe a transition meeting with the prior administration. And I wasn't for sure what that was going to look like, but I did know on the north side of Richmond Heights, on Chart Road, we had 35 lights out, street lights out. And so again, eight or nine hundred apartments and we have street lights that are out and so my ask was can you just please turn on some of the street lights I'm a runner I'm a walker as I go to the gym at 6 a.m. in the morning there's a young lady that's always at the bus stop a baby in her arm a baby in the cart or um, stroller and a backpack on her shoulder in the back of my head, I'm thinking, by the grace of God, that could be my daughter. But if someone tried to kidnap her, she doesn't have a place to, she's sitting down on a bench because we have no bus states, um, bus shelters. And it's dark. And so all I wanted was, just turn the lights on, please. And, and I said, well, we, so it was brought to my attention, we won't turn the lights on unless my officers see fit that they should come on. And so, again, again. And so that sparked me. I said, that's a problem right there. So I'm gonna do everything in my power to fight for residents and elevate my voice. And that's probably where my voice is going because I haven't stopped. <laughs> I haven't stopped. And so, the other thing, when I start talking about the infrastructure, we know we can't operate a home computer. We can't operate a computer that's 20 years old. And so you go into my city hall, my staff had 20-year-old computers, 20-year-old computers, not just in city hall, but in my police department. Those are my boots on the ground. I need them to have the best equipment possible. I walked into City Hall, and again, I served on council, so I knew what I was walking into. You have a 10,800 population of residents, 4.4 square miles. Normally you have six snowplow trucks. I had three. So, but I'm very good with collaborating. I reached out to another mayor and said, I need a favor. Can you please, please let me borrow your snowplow truck? And so it's almost like going to your neighbor, do you have some eggs, do you have some butter? For me? Can, you, can you help me out? And so it, it worked, I mean, the stars aligned. Every part of uh, collaboration that I could, could connect what I, I did, I reached out to different mayors, I reached out to Willow, and I said, summertime is here. We don't have a pool, can our residents come to your pool? Absolutely. But all this take is collaboration. Um, Blackwell, when she mentioned marketing, Richmond Heights slogan was the forward city. 
And so my staff said, Mayor, we haven't moved forward in a long time. <laughs> and so this is what I said we're going to do. We're going to change the slogan to a brighter tomorrow. And so that is our slogan right now. One, because our lights was out, and that had never happened again. <laughs> two, two, like Blackwell said, we're winning. Judy, we said all the time, we're winning. And I am in this position, winning, because people like Blackwell, because people like Gigi, when we find ourselves in this little pickle and we don't have anyone to call to understand the situation we're in, they get it. When you can't sleep because maybe something just happened in your police department, they get it. My State of the Union, I was supposed to give my speech. I said, I have no voice. I didn't know what that looked like. Called Blackwell. I said, hey, I need the State of a Union. There you go. She what? said, there you go. <laughs> and so that, and that is what this is about. It's about that sisterhood. I don't have to try. <laughs> and if I go low, I can speak. <laughs> but I don't have to. My daughter keeps saying, bring it down. Uh, I don't have to try to reinvent this wheel. If it's working, let's go with it. All right. So I uh, thank you guys. We are so lucky to have such an amazing forum. We are about to bring in uh, the audience Q&A. I am Chinanya Nkemra, co-founder of Enlightened Solutions. Today we are joined by Mayor Annette Blackwell of Maple Heights, Mayor Kim Thomas of Richmond Heights, and May Mayor Gigi Trior of Newburgh Heights. Moderating the, moderating the conversation is Sheila Wright, member of the City Club Board of Directors and co-founder, president, and managing partner of Frontline Development Group. We welcome questions from everyone, City Club members, guests, students, and those joining via our live stream at cityclub.org or radio broadcast at 89.7 IdeaStream Public Media. If you would like to tweet a question for our speakers, please tweet it at the City Club. You can also text it at 330-541-5794. That's 330-541-5794. And a City Club staff member will try to work it into the program. May we please have our first question. We have a text question. So what advice would you give to young black women who are considering a career in politics or public service? I'll take that one. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> run, girl, run. Uh, it's, it's, it's actually a question I get asked quite a bit. Um, as I share, I, I come from the community, and so uh, mentoring and, and advising. Uh, and I want to shout out Councilman Chanel Elston, who, um, stand up, wave your hand. Um, from South Euclid. And, and so, you know, being able to talk and have conversations with, with young black women who are coming up in politics. Um, but, and even if you're doing community organizing, it is not for the faint at heart. Um, you, as you transition from council to being the executor, the administrator, the legislative, the financial, the everything, um, you have to really be understanding what your why is because your why will keep you there. You have to know what your, your focus, because if you're there just to have a title, it's not gonna work. Because you have to have a passion, and that's the second thing. So know your why and what is your passion? What is driving you behind it? Because we don't do this because we're paid the most. <laughs> we, we, we were talking recently and the majority of us get paid less than some of our staff people, and so, Best believe that is less. considerably less. Best believe that is not the reason why we're there. It's not the fanfare uh, because there, there's a lot that goes in, into it. And so understanding your why and what your passion is for doing this work because it will keep you up at night. It will seep into your dreams, but then it'll also give you the fire that you need to do what you need to do against all odds. Um, it, it, it's, not, it's not easy work. It's not, but as long as you understand your why and identify your passion, you'll be good. 
Can I just jump in? Uh, can I answer that as well? And so Gigi is coming from a different place, and God bless you. I would encourage women, run, run, yes. run for office. Yes. Do everything you can to get that title of elected official or um, activist. And I say that because when we want women to lead, we have to make sure they have a seat at that table. And not just a seat at the table, be the table. And so when that happened, we get a chance to make those important decisions. And so the way that I was brought up, I was brought up in inner city. And my mom spoke strength in me, not fear. And so a lot of times with women, we get to this point that we're afraid that we're not good enough and I'm not going to run for office. Will my sister support me? Heck yeah. When you are doing the right thing, yes. Uh, and so I would encourage young girls, young women, old women, run for office. When No, seriously. And, and, so, and so my first... My, 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 my first visitor in City Hall was an eight-year-old girl. She came in and she, um, her aunt worked in a police station and she, her aunt said she just wanted to meet a black mayor. And so she came and she sat down and I said, well, what do you want to talk about? I don't want to talk about anything, Mayor. Just your presence. I just want to be in your presence. And I said, wow. And so she made a video. I'm sitting with the mayor. I'm sitting with the mayor. And so that was powerful because you can't be what you can't see. And so you need to be in this position. You need to be in this position. It's important. I got a phone call from Janice Small, really good friend. So she's, Janice Small, mom, is 90 years old. And she said, Mayor, you got a huge fan with my mom. I said, your mom? She said, yes. Mama, I told my mom, I know her, because she saw me on TV. And her mom said, you can't, you don't know her. She said, mom, I do know her. She said, well, I want to meet her. Can you take me to meet her? And so Janice said, Mayor, I'm going to bring you something for your voice. And it's going to be some some soup and I said okay she said well can my mom come absolutely so I would say <clears throat> if you are thinking about running for office run run get engaged join organizations do whatever you have to do to be that leader and that 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 is it <clears throat> I'm gonna leave it like that because I drink some more tea <clears throat> Add very quickly because I'm looking at the clock and I want to be respectful um, because so many of you are here. We've heard the word activism quite a bit, and so we come from different paths. Council, I, I didn't come from council. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta have social work. People say, "What's the thing that surprised you most about me, Mayor?" It's social work, feeding people. Maple Heights had the second highest rate of Black and infant mortality out of a third world country, and I got hospitals up and down Warrensville Center Road. Why is that? 2021 was the first zero black infant deaths in our region. So you've got to have, you got to be ready for the social work. You got to give away the free food, okay? We've had coat giveaways, we've had diaper drives, we've had school supply giveaways. My husband, shout out to him, is Vice President School Board, I thought he would do well over there, so he's in school board. But you've got to be a social worker. So for that young person, if you don't have a heart for service, and you've got to be a good student, it's not enough to just want to be the mayor. You need to be qualified. A lot of people want to be the mayor because it looks good, but you need to be qualified. This is a, one, this is a $41 million business. $41 million that we're responsible for. We're responsible for the way our employees put food on the table, whether the kids go to this school or that school, can they pay the light or the gas bill? And I think the regional sewer district, I think uh, Jacqueline Muhammad just walked out. They came to, we collaborated with Maple and Garfield Heights and we did a utility resource fair. The line was wrapped around the building, people showed up at eight o'clock. They saved so many people from disconnection. People called and said, I don't have food. My lights are off. I have bought shoes. I have bought school supplies. This is a job for social work. So I want to leave you with this. 
You got to balance smarts, because you need to be smart. It's a job that requires brains. Social work, a heart, and a commitment to ministry. And you do need activism, because you have to tell some and get some people straight. And so I'll say this very quickly. You do, because they will tell you what your job is and what your priorities are. I'm not going to go into detail, but let, we're also the safety directors. Yes. Police and fire report to us. And we just talked about George Floyd. Do you know what that's like, being the safety director? And my police force does not look like me. Most of them don't. Most of them don't. And I had a police, involved, police officer involved shooting. Not sleeping, not thinking, feeling like you want to throw up all the time, because you've got to balance justice and you've got to follow the system. But a young man just died. And I can't go further than that, but I want you to understand this is a job that you need a heart for. You need a heart for. So don't forget the business. Study. You need to be a good student. I can't tell you. I hated English. Then I end up loving English. I do so much writing. You've got to write. And you have to be able to read the grants and things brought to you. Because it's your branding. Branding's not just a lapel pen. It's what you send out. Have you seen my social media? Have you seen my social media? <laughs> That's I hired a social media professional to get our message out. Remember? They said we were too dirty, too dark, too dirty. Just letting you know that. So understand that. You've got, you got to have the heart, the brains, and the activism. You can't have just one. You need all of them. You really do need all of them to be really, really, really successful. Sheila, I, I, I just I, wanted one. one. Let's see oh, I think okay. Good afternoon, everyone. As a um, survivor of a mental health issue, um, illness and also survivor of living in affordable housing, I just wanted to know, do you guys have any initiatives in place uh, regarding mental health issues as being products of affordable housing in your neighborhoods? Any yeah. initiatives in place? Okay. You, you had the mic. You wanted to yeah, it? I can. So, as you I mentioned... distribute the power. <laughs> yeah. Um, and... In Richmond Heights, we have 3,355 homes. 30%, 35% of our housing population are apartments. And so what that, to me, that meant a lot because if you can't afford a home, you're gonna live in those apartments. But I wanna make sure that you have all the resources um, that you need living in those apartments. And so partner with the county to make sure we brought the housing utility fair to Richmond Heights to help some of our um, residents pay their rent. Some of those residents were three to six months behind and facing eviction. And so, Everyone deserves a place to stay. And the rent was not getting paid a lot of times, not because they just couldn't afford the, the rent. Sometimes they wasn't in a, a good place mentally. Uh, with COVID, if you're in a house for a long period of time, your mind can play tricks on you. And so you just need that support. What we did was partner with the county to give them the support that they need. Um, and so we are still battling right now because we do have some slum landlords that will take advantage of um, some of our residents who are challenged. Um, so getting them support, and we're still working with that right now. Yeah, so for the Village of Newburgh Heights, I want to highlight several of our programs. So uh, aside from the affordability of our homes, um, so we have infield lots that can be built. Uh, we have existing structures. Our average rate is for renting is about seven to a thousand dollars, and so that's really affordable when you look at the grand scheme of things within the region. Um, but we also have what's called SLAP, the Student Loan Assistant Program. I'm not sure if you all have heard of, of it, but if you buy a home or build one from the ground up, you can uh, live there for ten years. Has to be owner occupied, and you get up to fifty thousand dollars of your student loans paid off, and that's for anyone that. Yeah, yeah. That, yes, come, come live in the Newburgh. Uh, and, and so that's, that's one of the things. But we also pass, uh, majority of our residents are renters. So we have 53% of our residents that are renters. And so I passed what's called pay to stay. And anybody familiar with pay to stay? So we are a pay to stay community, which means that if you hit hard times, and we know with COVID, a lot of folks went through issues. Um, 
our community is pretty much service employee, manufacturing, and construction. Those three sectors were hit hard during COVID. And so it was important for me to pass pay to stay because it's like, we want you to stay here because that provides stability for, for our residents, um, especially those with children. And so the pay to stay legislation is another housing uh, perk that we, that we offer, so. Let's see if there's some more questions. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I'm so glad to see uh, the three of the four of you here. Um, I'm a member of the State Board of Education, so I'm always thinking about our, our students, our young people. So what would you say to little girls? What should they be doing now to prepare themselves to be the strong leaders that you are? I'll take it. They need to go to school. Absenteeism is, is huge among uh, communities of color, low to moderate income, for a lot of reasons. They can't afford the laundry. Mom worked third shift, they got to help little kids. Uh, they don't always have the medical access they need, but they need to go to school and stay in school. That's super, super important. They need to enlist the help of a guidance counselor. They need to find mentors, and there's a bunch in this room. I, I, I can't even keep up with them all. To show them what Mayor Thomas shared, what a mayor looks like, what you do in your job. And sometimes we have to go in our pocket to help them stay in school, to give them the, 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 the resilience, the, the, the push that you can do this. And so maybe we have to go school shopping. They want their hair done, okay? They, they want those. So we, we, we kind of get stuck on, on this is a set, but there's some, there's some humanity things that we have to do to help them. We have a prom, we just had a prom dress drive at Maple Heights City Schools. I took two brand new pair of shoes. I didn't take what I didn't want to wear. They were brand new because that's important. So what, you have to incentivize them. Incentivize them. How can you help them? Maybe a back to school party. Yeah, there's a rally. Do you have the school supplies? We have to help them. I'm talking hand, hand in hand. But they have to go to school and stay in school and finish it. We need to know what's available to them at the, at the, at the at the elementary level all the way through. Partner with them all the way through. Don't let their hands go and keep the world bigger. I've got students uh, that have never left Maple Heights. I was at an event and one kid said, I just want to go to the zoo. The zoo is less than 10 minutes. Take them beyond their zip codes. Exposure, exposure, exposure. We got 100 black men. I think we need 1,000 black women. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Hey, my name is Anthony Green from MC2 STEM High School. My question is, is there anyone like along your path that inspired you or helped you along the way to either become a member of council and move on to mayor or just go right to mayor? Uh, I'll make it quick. I came from Deloitte and Touche. I worked at a tax and accounting firm and there was a tax attorney who kept telling me, you're too smart to just be making copies. I was a secretary. You're too smart to just be making copies. Go to school, go to school, go to school. They would not, they kept telling me that I had all of this talent that I, so much so, which speaks, that I began to believe it. So there, there's a couple of folks I do want to give a direct shout out to. Um, Alicia Thomas Morgan, she was the youngest and first black female state representative for the state of Florida. I had the privilege of meeting her through a felt political fellowship that I was a part of in undergrad. And believe it or not, I'm naturally a shy introvert, <laughs> believe it or not. Um, and, and so I remember one time I went to, I think it was a Ward 2 event, and Councilman Zachary at the time walked in. And he said, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm just sitting here waiting for the program to start. He said, no, you get up and you go to each table, you introduce yourself, you have conversations with folks. And I was like, no, I don't. That's, that's, that's not what I do. Um, and so he didn't just leave me there, because that's important. Some people give you instructions and leave you to figure it out. He literally grabbed me. And if anybody knows Councilman, former Councilman Zach Reed, you know that he is who he is. And so he literally said, come on with me. And he modeled for me what it looks like to engage and introduce yourself to folks. He also modeled what it looked like to be engaged in the community. When all the black women started going missing in his ward several years ago, it was Zach Reed out there knocking doors with papers and giving folks information. If you are impacted by this, here's what you do. So, and I was out there with him. And so those two folks were very key in terms of helping me to walk into what I am now. 
I would have to say I, I give all credit to my mom. I give the credit to my mom because she birthed strength in me. She helped me not to be afraid of anything. And in, in the 80s in Cleveland, crack cocaine had took over the community, the black community. And so the women, the men were out there. Women were sleeping in their cars, standing in a food line. And my mom, they would call her the mayor of the street. And so if you needed someone to watch your kids, my mom was there. If you need it to come in and take a shower because your lights or your, your water is off and maybe your lights and gas are off, you would knock on my mom's door and she would be there to help you. And my mom would always say, you care for those who can't, who can't care for themselves and the universe would take care of you. And so when I decided to run for office, I have to give Dr. Ackerman um, she's in the room right now. I give Dr. Ackerman the credit. I give Dr. Willis, who is not here right now, the credit. Dr. Willis called and said, um, Kim, you always doing things in the city of Cleveland, but you do know charity starts at home. And I said, Dad, gone. Yeah, it does. <laughs> and so at that time, I was one of the vice chairs of the Cuyahoga County Democratic Party. And so I ended up Three weeks before the um, turn it, you turn in your petition, three weeks, got my name on the ballot, because that's how long it took me to really think about this. Got my name on the ballot, and while I ran against uh, my incumbent, and I won. And so, again, I want to just go back to one thing that someone mentioned. <clears throat> um, You're fine. Please and, finish. Okay. And that was, we do this for the love of it. Not for the income, but no. for the outcome, all right? Because the money is not there. No. I'm a part-time mayor, but I put in 50 hours every week. In order to get this job done, it's full-time. Safety director, director is full-time. You don't be a safety director part-time. If someone call, hey, you know, the house is on fire. Oh, okay, I'm off right now, call me back. It don't work like that. <laughs> No, and so again, we do this for the love of it. I would like to thank each of you for taking this stage. What's not new in this country and in a lot of places is black women leading. What's rare is to have an opportunity to share the full faith and credit of who you are. I've been on that stage. This is the best forum I've ever attended here at City oh. Club. Very, very quickly, in the interest of time, I've not met a man who has found success without having a heck of a lot of support. And today I heard from you, each of you, how you've had to do what others wouldn't, when others wouldn't. You had to do more with less. And so my question to you is, what is it that we can do to support you? You're mayors of each of your respective municipalities. You could be my mayor any day. Right? But the community that's yours is much larger than your municipality. So how can we be that fence? How can we be that sword? How can we be that shield so that your mayor the next term and the next term and what you've started, you can see through? Mm. Gotta be really quick. I just want, Maple Heights 25,000. It's a big city, huge city. 9,000 housing units. Vote, vote. Are, have you seen our voter turnout? And you've got Carolyn there, it, it's dismal. Okay, you've got to vote to keep us in office because this is a temporary job. Every three years we have to reapply for that little check, but for more work. We it's a temporary job. Had I stayed at the accounting firm, I have 25 years and I can retire. But every three years, I've got to get going, right? This is one of those years, shameless plug. But we have to, it's a temporary job. We have to keep applying. And so we need you to vote. We need you to support us. So some of the races we don't go for because we can't afford it. We can't raise the money. Mm -hmm. We just can't raise it. $5 is nice, but it doesn't buy a yard sign. And I gotta move it on, because I wanna be fair. I gotta distribute the power. <laughs> I would say for, for the community, the community knows me, continue to do what you do. I'm here because of you. You showed up, you showed out. Uh, you made a phone call, made things happen. 
But I think what, what, what the important part is, once we're in the space by ourselves, mm -hmm. when I moved into the village of Newburgh Heights, it was 91% white. It's currently after the most recent census, 78% white. I am the only, I had to fight to get a black man hired with my council. I had to fight to get him to be a full time after he worked for, for a part time. And the question and the things were, we don't feel comfortable. He doesn't have the institutional knowledge. He hasn't been here long enough. But a month later with, with another employee, a white guy, they said he went from part-time to full-time, no questions. And I came in there, I said, you're gonna hire this black man. And he's now there full-time. So. And, and so I'm, I'm in the space, not just as the only black woman in the mayor's office, but the entire thing. As, re, as my colleague here mentioned, our workforce doesn't typically look like us. So we're leading people who aren't accustomed to being led by, especially for myself, an African black young woman. Or old. <laughs> I said for me. So, so those are the things, it's like continue to show up and support us. Um, one of the best things I had was for my girlfriends who showed up just randomly to a council meeting to be in support of me. You know, those are, those are times, and yeah. I know we Jeez. talked about shifting, going from each council meeting to support each other. That, that feels great to it have does. somebody in it the does. crowd that you know that's there in support of you. It does. Yeah. So I, I would have to say, mom, money, organize, and messaging is what it takes to win. And so when people say, what do you need from us? Men raise way more money than women. And so go to either one of our campaign page and donate. Minds never shut down. We have two amazing leaders up here right now that's running for office. I got to open up my pockets, my pocketbook, because I want them to be back in this space. I want us to be back on this stage. And I just got one more thing to say. When I took office, I had two African Americans in City Hall, two. Everyone else was other. No African-American in leadership. One was the janitor. The second one, assistant economic development director. So the question for me to my HR manager, because we didn't have an HR director, I said, what happened? Why don't we have any diversity? She said, Mayor, I'll be honest, we couldn't find anyone qualified. And so, and so I said, all right, now I'm going to be engaged as much as possible. Not only did I find people of color that was qualified, they had letters behind their name. And, and we have women of color leading in departments. Thank you all so, so very much for that messaging, for that ministry that we have to yes. here today on International Women's Day, honestly. Thank you to each of our mayors and to Sheila Wright for joining us at the City Club today. We would also love to welcome our guests at the tables hosted by Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Alpha Omega Chapter. I've got a couple to get through, so I'm going to ask you all to hold applause, although the, the ladies are looking good back there. Um, Beyond Breakthrough. Black Environmental Leaders, Black Women Political Action Committee, Cuyahoga County Community College, Cuyahoga Democratic Women's Caucus, the Good Community Foundation, Growth Opportunity Partners, Inc., Huntington Bank, Mayor Thomas, MC Squared STEM High School, Michael and Aureli Jeans, and the North, oh, Northeast Ohio Regional Sewer District. Thank you all for being here today. A couple of announcements. 
Couple of announcements before we end. Next Wednesday, March 15th, executives from Detroit's Eastern Market, Cincinnati's uh, Finley Market, and Baltimore uh, Public Markets will join Cleveland Mayor Justin Bibb for a discussion about the history of public markets and their roles as community anchors. Also, next Thursday, March 16th, the City Club will welcome Chris Kuhar, Executive Director of Metro Parks Zoo. He will be in conversation with IdeaStream Public Media's uh, Gabriel Kramer about conversation around education and our outdoor spaces. Tickets are still available for these forums, and you can learn more at uh, cityclub.org. That brings us to the end of today's forum. Thank you once again to our marvelous speakers, and thank you members and friends of the City Club. I am Chinanya Nkemra, and this forum is now adjourned. For information on upcoming speakers or for podcasts of the City Club, go to cityclub.org. Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream Public Media are made possible by PNC and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated.